If you have a Bible, turn to Psalms 25. Psalms 25. We are continuing the series Behind the Music. And of course, we're talking about King David. And this is our third week in the series. And today we're looking at what we call his cultivation. Now, before we go any further, let me explain what I mean by the term cultivation. And of course, this is a dictionary uh, view of it. The definition of cultivation is the process of refinement, growth, or development. In the context that we're looking at, it's really the whole idea of maturing. Someone who is in the process of maturing, especially in their faith. So look at the introduction. God is in the process of maturing us into the person he desires us to be. In theological terms, this process is called sanctification. Now this process is clearly seen in the life of David. So if you were to say, okay, uh, when it comes to this whole idea of God maturing someone, when it comes to this idea of God getting ready to use someone in a mighty way, what does it look like as he prepares that person? You find it very clearly seen in David's life. Matter of fact, you'll, if you look into others that are mentioned in the Old Testament, you'll see that developed in Joseph of the Old Testament, Moses, any of those who had a great impact there was something behind the scenes going on in our life in which God developed them, matured them, or cultivated them into what he desired them to be to accomplish great things. So, the question this morning is this, how does God on you be ashamed? The key word there is weights. That's going to be a word that we'll use a lot this morning. Let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. And here it is. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. O you, I wait all the day. Skip down to verse 8. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he teaches sinners in the way. The humble he guides in justice and the humble he teaches his way. Now, when you read these verses, of course, David here is talking about the whole idea of what I believe is development. He's talking about the ways that God brings us into a maturing process and becoming all that he desires us to be. How does he do this? Well, verse 4 says, he shows us. He shows us. That word show can be demonstrate. He teaches us. He leads us. And of course, he is the one who's over the whole process in our lives when it talks about this idea of his salvation. And so we see this so clearly spelled out in the life of David. And David saw this work happening within him. So I want us to look at some other places as it relates to his life and as it's seen. So turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16. We're going to be looking at snippets of David's life this morning as it relates to this whole process. So we're going to look at some verses in chapter 16, some in 17, and also in chapter 18. So let's go back to the original question. How does God cultivate a person? Now, in most sermons... You'll hear myself or Jonathan or Gary or whomever, normally you build to the most important point most of the time. In this case, I believe what we're looking at first 
is probably the most crucial of all the points I'll be talking about this morning. So it's kind of in the front of everything, but it's necessary to set the tone for the rest that's going to follow. So what would you say is the most important thing when it comes to cultivating a person's life? How, and here it is. He uses the means of solitude. He uses the means of solitude. Now, look on your outline. The physical surroundings of solitude. I want you to think about this. If you don't plan for solitude in your life, it'll never happen. It'll never happen. Have you ever thought about that? Solitude and just being quiet and slowing things down and the busyness of life. It doesn't happen automatically. You have to plan. In this day and age, you have to plan for it. How many of you agree with me? You do. Because everything seems to be dictated in this day and age. And so you literally have to plan for it. Now, for David, if you were to say, okay, what were the physical surroundings that, that he had in which he was in solitude? It would definitely be the hills of Judea. The hills of Judea. Now, here's, the, here's why solitude is important. If you're going to hear from God, we must learn to quiet our lives. We must learn to get rid of the noises and the distractions of our world. Look at verse, uh, chapter 16 and look at verse 19. It says, therefore, Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son, David, who is with the sheep. Over and over again in these verses, you know where you'll find David? Out on the hillside taking care of sheep. I've had the privilege to go to some of these countries that uh, keeping the sheep is, is definitely something people still do. Uh, you can go to Romania, you can go to Jordan, you can definitely go to Israel, and you can still, whether you're on a tour bus or whatever you're doing, you can go by these fields, and guess what you'll see? Shepherds with the sheep. It's still something 2,000 years later, in this case, almost 4,000 years, 3,000 years later, that's still practiced. And nothing about it has really changed. And so when you look out there, you think, and, and I don't know about you, but sometimes I look at other people's jobs and I think, man, that is the life. How, how many of you deal with a lot of issues and problems in your job? How many of you think, man, wouldn't it be cool just to keep sheep on the hillside? I mean, think about it. I mean, and then for me, you know, I've got other ideas about, you know, if I wasn't in the pasture, what would I do? And it would be, anyway, I'd, it won't have problems solving. I can tell you that in it. But, but it is amazing that you see these guys, and every time we read about David, at least initially, we find him tending the sheep. It's almost like he had a job where it was built in. It was built in for him. And so it, it, it takes strong discipline Never mind sheep keeping, but beyond that, it takes strong discipline to bring silence to our lives. If you have difficulty being alone, and this is what I found out about my own life, sometimes it has to do with my own soul. Something's not right. Maybe I'm not right with God. Maybe there's something there that I don't, you know, it's, it's not like we want to go before God when there's something there that we're holding on to that we know he doesn't want there or something he wants to change. Maybe we're not quite ready to be changed. So if you were to say this morning, what keeps us from solitude? I think for many of us, just, it's just the discipline of doing it. But for some, the reason we never get there is because something is not right and it needs to be right. And deep down, we know that. We know that. I want you to think about the physical surroundings. Next, 
He uses the means of solitude, and in this case with David, the heart songs of solitude. And the privilege that we have, and I've told you this many times, David has written two-thirds of the Psalms that we hold in the Bible. We hear the inner workings of his heart. We not only see the activities of his life in, in, in 1 Samuel, we also have a privilege to see the heart behind much of the activities that spell out in his life. We see that. So if you were to look at Psalms chapter 8, you'd find something else that's going on as it relates to David and as it relates to what he's up to. In Psalms 8.3, it says this, and here's the, key, here's the key. Here's how we know he spends a lot of time contemplating God. He says this, when I consider, do you hear contemplation there? When I consider, when, when my mind is here, here's what he says, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars in which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you've crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea." Oh, Lord, our God, how excellent is your name. You see, this whole mindset of what just took place with David, as it begins to write this, it was his contemplation that brought these words. Let me ask you this. When's the last time you contemplated God? When's the last time you contemplated the issues of your life and attempted to seek those issues from the perspective of God? It will only come, I am convinced, based on life experience, it will only come from a place of solitude. We have to learn to quiet our lives, quiet our lives. You see, David knew how to express his feelings about life and his God. And every bit of it was born out of solitude. Now, I want you, let's go to the New Testament. Who else did this? Jesus himself. Every time you read, you can't go far in the scriptures where you see Jesus is about all this activity, all these demands that are placed on his life from the disciples, from the multitudes, from those that wanted to be healed, all these different places, all the distractions. And still, what do you find? Jesus sneaking off to spend time in solitude with his heavenly father. Over and over again, you find this in scripture. In Mark chapter 1, it says, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, before anyone else was stirring, Jesus went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. There he prayed. Luke chapter 4, Now when it was day, he departed and went to a deserted place. And the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. That would be difficult, wouldn't it? But you know what? Jesus knew the importance of solitude in his life. If Jesus knew how important it was, how much more do we need that? How much more do we need that? Jesus had built a discipline in his life for solitude. I want you to think of this. Busyness and clutter makes us, and this is so true at least in my life, makes us stop caring about the things we should care about. When we get busy and we have all the clutters of life and we're going from point A to point B, we start to lose perspective. We start to lose really what this life is really all about. How many of you can agree with that? We, we all find ourselves there sometimes. 
we lose proper perspective. And the only way we keep it is from solitude. Periods of solitude, I've loved this, helps to eliminate the unnecessary so that the necessary may speak. It allows us to have a proper focus and a proper perspective. You may say, well, give me an example of this. I believe one of the greatest examples of this, and I've shared this with you before, is between two sisters, Mary and Martha. How many of you remember the story? Jesus is there in their home, which he visited with them quite a bit. And Mary and Martha definitely had two different ways when it comes to their life. And I'm afraid that we are much more like Martha than Mary. And some of you, let me tell you what you're going to do. When I read these verses, you're going to think, well, somebody needs to be the Martha in the situation. <laughs> but, but the point is this. The point is there's something greater than what Martha was about. And how do we know that? Because Jesus said it himself. I want you to think about this. Luke chapter 10, verse 40. Write that down. But here's what it says. It says, but Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. How many of you ever been in that situation? Felt like if something's going to be done around here, I guess I'll be the one that does it, you know. And Jesus is sitting right there in the living room. <laughs> but you know what Jesus said? Now, I don't know about you, but you who are go-getters, you who are, have the gift of serving, and you do a wonderful job. She was practicing hospitality. She was doing what she thought was right at the time. Her gift set was probably matched up. It was linked up, and she wanted someone to help her with this. But you know what Jesus said? Mary has chosen the better thing in this situation. In this situation, Mary's chosen the better. And you know what it was? Mary chose to sit at the feet of Jesus. At that time, Jesus said that was the most important thing that needed to be done. And it tells me that Jesus was speaking from experience. Jesus needed that from his heavenly father. He saw that Mary needed it in her life, but even more so, guess who needed it more based on this conversation? Martha needed it as much as anybody did. And, and so what we find here is this whole idea that we need to learn the discipline of solitude. The person who establishes a block of time for rest or reflection on a regular basis is most likely to keep all of life in proper perspective and remain free from burnout and breakdown. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you feel like there's just times, and maybe you're in that right now, where you are close to the burnout and breakdown? I mean, you've been burning the candles at both ends. Maybe you're, it's just more than you can handle. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, do you have a better solution? I mean, my life's kind of dictating who I am right now. That's not a good place to be. You say, well, how would you know? I've been there. The people who show up that want to talk about life, talk about their, where they are spiritually, they show up. And, and guess what? They're there. And it's not a good place to be. We've got to learn to put something of solitude into our life. Have you ever noticed that even the whole creation is built on the, on the rhythm of rest and relaxation? What does it say? First book of the Bible. And Jesus created on, the six, on six days, and what did he do on the seventh? He rested. 
Now let me ask you this. Is it because the world's a big place to create and, and God was extremely tired and exhausted? And No. He was showing us the rhythm in which this world would, would, take, would need to exist in a healthy way. And that we need those times. It must be built in. You see, if you remove solitude from your life, here's what happens. Your life becomes chaotic. How many of you can identify with that? And what is chaos? Chaos, to me, most of the time when chaos shows up in my life, it, I lo- it's because I've lost, I've lost proper focus. I don't know what's important anymore. I, I, I don't have success anymore. I don't, I don't see God in the processes of my life anymore. Because I, many times I'm just in survival mode. And I can't see him. But listen to what Jesus said. He's telling us how to pray. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in a secret place. Some translations, when it talks about going to your room, some would even say maybe even find a closet. Wherever you can find a place of solitude. For those of you who have preschoolers, maybe the closet is where you need to be. <laughs> but he's saying, find this place. Listen, here's a summary of this verse. Find a place where we can meet, where we can meet. Because the issues of life will come through that time that we meet. That's what he's saying here. Another place, and if you were to say, okay, what does the Old Testament say about this whole idea? Be still and know that I'm God. It's not just that we sit there and adore God, even though that's a big part of it, and the contemplation of how great God is, which David wrote here in Psalms chapter 8, but it's much more than that. It's, it's us seeing ourselves, not only seeing God where he is, but seeing ourselves in the context of God. When's the last time you saw yourself in the context of what God wanted to do in your life or in the context of what he desires us to be? The only place we find that is in solitude. Getting alone with him. Busyness and lack of solitude does not cultivate growth in a person's life. Next, how does God cultivate a person? He uses the means of secrecy. You say, wow, that's a strange word for this. Well, I had to have an S word, okay? But, but, it, but it really does work. The first point there is faithful when acknowledged and unappreciated. Faithful when unacknowledged and unappreciated. In chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, chapter 16, verse 11, it says, And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? You remember the story we covered a couple of weeks ago? His sons, he has eight sons, they've all come through. Then he said, There remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. He's keeping the sheep. The other seven in the father's eyes were those that showed promise. They were the ones that possibly could be the next king of Israel. They they were the ones that were probably busy with life, didn't have much solitude, but there was one that still remained, and he's out there. And from what we read here, he was unappreciated. Let me think about it. Unappreciated and unacknowledged. And there he is, and his name's David. David learned, listen, to be responsible even though no one acknowledged his accomplishments. He learned that he was to please God and not man. Faithful when no one is around. 
faithful when no one can, can give you those, uh, you know, that whole idea of, of encouragement. He's just faithful to the very end. That is the person God is calling forth. Next, he uses the means of secrecy. It's the idea of being prepared in private before used in public. In verse 18 of chapter 16, it says, Then one of his servants answered and said, Look, I have seen a, a son of Jesse, the uh, Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a, uh, in playing a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. Now, I want you to think about that. He went from being someone who was not noticed by anyone, including his father and his brothers, to someone who's now about to take center stage in the nation of Israel, and he moves from, his life becomes, goes from private to public. How many of you would say that would be a pretty big transition? And boy, will it be. Think about it. Before David would ever sit on the throne and rule Israel, he would first spend countless hours alone. You say, well, is that the way God develops everyone? How about Moses? 40 years. 40 years of preparation. Some people say it was actually longer than that. 40 years. Jesus, when did his public ministry begin? We believe he was age 30. God prepares in private those he intends to, intends to use in public. And he prepares their hearts. Matter of fact, you can carry it a step further uh, when it comes to all this, because what we find there is how God uh, cultivates a person. He uses the means of smallness. Smallness. And again, it, it literally means limited use or restricted use. That's how I'm using the phrase there. Look at chapter 17, verse 15. But occasionally, but David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Now, I want you to think about this. This is amazing when you think about it. David, he knows what he's becoming. He knows he will become the next king of Israel. He's, it's been ordained for him to be. He, but yet, he spends time in the palace, which I think God intended him to spend time in the palace to learn more about being king, so to speak. He spends time there, and, and, and near the highest office, but yet, where does he find himself having to run back to? Back to keeping the sheep. He learned discipline of solitude was key in his life. Matter of fact, in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about when David gets in trouble and what goes missing that led to that trouble. But right now, Everything's great. He still sees the necessary means to get alone with God. You see, we need things in our life. And this is basically what, what David has in his life. We need things in our lives that ground us. That ground us. My question to you is, what grounds you? Some of you say, well, <laughs> God gave me a good wife that keeps me pretty grounded. She keeps me in my place. You know, she, when I start thinking too highly of myself, she's right there, God's using her, you know? And that can go in all kinds of ways, can't it? But the point is, every one of us need to be grounded at times. Don't, we? don't you agree? How many of you uh, ground, ground your children or used to ground your children? 
I remember, I don't know about you, but uh, there were times where I could be spanked or paddled, which I'm one of those that believed it did me a lot of good. Amen? Okay. All right. <laughs> and then my parents started learning they needed to up the ante a little bit, and they started grounding me. I didn't like that. I was like, take me back to the spanking. Let's get this thing over with. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. But the grounding was something to bring me back to reality, bring me back to the proper perspective. That was the whole goal, at least what my parents were attempting to do. And that's what God wants in our lives, for something to ground us. I've noticed that in, 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 for those that I counsel with, that most of the time, people either think one of two things about themselves. They either think too highly of themselves or too lowly of themselves. They, they, they can't seem to get the proper perspective of who they really are. How many of you have been around people who think too highly of themselves? Don't, don't point, don't look around. <laughs> How many of you have also seen people who look at themselves too lowly? I mean, they're just, they don't see they have anything to offer. No self-esteem, nothing in their life. It's amazing how the enemy comes at us in so many different ways. He'll have us thinking too highly of ourselves where we don't have that thing in our life that grounds us. Or he gets us to the point where he beats us down so much that we don't even know who we are anymore or who we are in Christ anymore. But let me just say this. It all comes back to spending time with God to understand not only who he is, but to better understand who we are. When I, take, when I take time to, to discipline myself to meet with God and, and, and have that time of solitude, I, listen, a lot of the chaos in my life goes away, just like we said before. But not only that, I get a better perspective of him and myself and where I should be. I definitely don't come away thinking too highly of myself. And I'll tell you this, for those of us who've dealt with past things in our lives that we think very lowly of ourselves. He wants to raise us up where we see ourselves as he sees us. How does it come about? Solitude, smallness, secrecy, all these things that exist around it. So look on your outline. He uses the means of smallness, limited use. It brings forth humbleness, humbleness. Many desire, this is amazing, many desire the places of prestige before they are tested before they're tested. A person who's never been tested that finds himself in a place of prestige and leadership and all that can be a very dangerous person. You say, how do you know that? I, there's examples all around us. Examples all around us. David's mentality. Psalms 40, look here on the screen. Blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust. He's not looking within himself. So he's not the one that has all the answers and does not respect the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O oh Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you have done, and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I place, if I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. But here's where I find myself, God. I am poor and needy, yet the Lord looks upon me. 
Would you say this is a pretty accurate description of, of, of where God is? I mean, God is the one. He's the one that makes the man. He's the one that tears the man down. He's the one. David had a healthy perspective when it came to humility in his life. Humility is all about perspective. We must see ourselves from the correct perspective to be useful to God in this life. Next, he uses a small means of smallness, and it brings forth faithfulness. Now, keep in mind that when God promoted David, he did not have to teach him the basics of humbleness or humility and faithfulness. It was already built in. That was two things that were already there that would prove to be beneficial in how God would use him in the future. Psalms 34, look here. David writes, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. He was faithful no matter what he faced. You see, when God develops someone for a specific task, especially in leadership, he never takes shortcuts. He never takes shortcuts. I remember many years ago, and many of you have heard this story before, but I feel like it's appropriate to use here because I think many of you probably have been in that situation. How many of you felt like you were ready for something and God still didn't give you the platform for it in your life? You always felt you were ready for it. You always felt, you know, and yet you never got there. I remember being a, a, a young guy in ministry, and at the time I was young, but anyway, back in 97, I graduated from seminary. I felt like I had everything to be equipped with being a pastor, and I was ready to go out, and, and uh, I was, you know, God, here I am. I'm totally available. I finally got the education piece that I think you wanted in my life, and, and it was still about two and a half years before he put me in. <laughs> And it was, it was such a frustrating time. I didn't see it. Matter of fact, I, I really got to a point where I was kind of cold and indifferent, just to be honest with you. I was frustrated. And all of a sudden, God put me in. And it took me years later, when I finally got the solitude and the discipline of solitude back in my life, and I began to see things. I began to see what God was up to. In that two and a half years from when I thought I was ready and when he said I was ready. And y'all, sometimes we got to realize he's developing things in us. We may have no idea what he's up to, but he's developing those things. Here's an interesting thing in scripture. Paul gives us a list of qualifications for an elder or a pastor in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And one of those things is this, and all the, other, all the other descriptions have different ideas about what it's saying, but this says it in a whole different way. Here it says this, not a novice, not someone who's new to the faith, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Do you know what this is saying? What this is saying is those who are new in the faith those who have never been tested, those who have not uh, experienced him, and, and there are certain disciplines in their life that can be clearly seen, those who are new, they have no business in places of leadership. The enemy's got too much to work with, with those who have not been tested. And I see that God was up to that in my own life. There was still some fine-tuning he had to do in my life. And, and if you're sitting around waiting for God and you think he's got this and that, why ain't he moving? Sometimes he's fine-tuning. 
He's cultivating something in our life, and we shouldn't miss, miss it or play around with it. So, here we are. Look on your outline. When it comes to cultivating us, he uses the means of struggle also. How many of you can relate to this S word? <laughs> struggle. Think about what God did in his life. First of all, we have the mauling beast. In chapter 17, I want you to look at verse 34. This is how David saw his, his struggles. Verse 34, but David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it, struck it, and delivered the lamb from its mouth, and when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear and this uncircumcised Philistine who will be like one of them, seeing he has defiled the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, here it is, the Lord who de delivered me from the paw of the, uh, excuse me, from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Now, you see, Saul didn't even have to say that. Saul didn't have to say, go and may the Lord be with you. David's already told him the Lord was with him, right? David knew without a shadow of a doubt. Wouldn't it be cool if we could look at the events of our life and say, you know something? God was with me every step of the way. I didn't understand it all, boy. Only thing I had to bring to it was courage, and that courage actually came from him. But I was able to overcome. I was able to work through the struggle. And so what do we find there? He overcame his fear. How about this, the menacing giant? We saw this last week. David is there, and for 40 days and uh, 40 mornings and 40 after, uh, evenings, uh, Goliath would stand there and, and, and intimidate the Israel, or Israeli armies there. And, and David happens to show up on the 41st morning, and basically he comes out, he defiles God, he does all these things. And David said, why do you allow this to happen? And David went out and accomplished great things. But guess what? It was all in the midst of ridicule. You remember us talking about the giant ridiculed him? Who do you think I am that you send a dog here to face me? You remember his brothers ridiculed him? David, who do you think you are? Just go back home and keep the sheep. Everyone. So he overcame the ridicule and the possible discouragement that could come to his life. Next, he uses the means of struggle through the mad king. And this is the idea of over a difficult person. How many of you ever dealt with a difficult person in your life? David finds himself in the midst of a mad king. Look at chapter 18. Look at verse 9. It says, so Saul eyed David from that day forward, eyed him. What do you think that means? David became a threat to him. David also became a source of jealousy in his heart. David became a target at this point. How many of you ever felt like you were a target of a difficult person? Well, this is what you have here. And, and verse 10, and it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul and he prophesied in the house, inside the house. So David played uh, music with his hand as other times, but there was a spear in Saul's hand, and Saul cast the spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall, but David escaped his presence twice. Pin him to the wall. Would you say he's ready to take him out? Yeah. He wanted to kill him. 
he was a source of threat. King David falls into the grip of depression with violent mood swings. We see that. And there's times we deal with the same things. But here's the point. The bears, the lions, the giants, the madmen will come into our lives. There's a chance that they're all going to be there. They may, that may, not, may not be actual lions and tigers and bears and giants. But anyway, that we face those things. Sometimes we're an ob- our fear is, is, is clearly seen in some of these oppositions. Sometimes the ridicule is more than we can handle. Sometimes it brings discouragement. But again, this time with God in the midst of the struggle is key. You see, when a struggle comes into our life, the first thing we need to ask is what is God's mind towards this? What is he seeking to use this as in in my life? And again, it only comes back to solitude, spending time. Next, he uses the means of staying, staying. The Old Old Testament terminology is idea of wait. And it means to look forward eagerly, to be ready, to be available. Look at how David uses it here in the Psalms. Psalms 25. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Psalm 27. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. How about Psalms 37? Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him, for evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. The word waiting here in this context implies several things. First of all, it's the idea looking forward in expectation to see what God is about to do. That's what it means here. But then when you go to the New Testament, we have a word that's very similar that accomplishes the same thing, and that word is abide. Abide. The act of abiding is an essential process for God to do a work in our lives. Someone has said this, the act of abiding is the umbilical cord to sanctification or spiritual growth in our lives. That only comes by way of God. And here's how Jesus said it in John 15. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So how is faith displayed in our lives? How is courage displayed in our lives? How are those things displayed? It comes by way of waiting and abiding. And neither one of those things can happen until we learn the discipline of solitude and knowing God and getting with him and knowing what he's up to. So when used in this context, abiding literally means connecting to a source that sustains us. Transformation happens through waiting on the Lord, or as the New Testament says, abiding in him. So look at the footnote. Waiting or abiding produces, and all these things are seen in the life of David. Listen to this. These are good trade-offs. Inner courage instead of inner conflict. You see, a lot of you are sitting here this morning, and you got a lot of inner conflict in there. A lot of it. And a lot of it is killing your peace. And most of it requires you to be courageous. How about this? Faith instead of fear. I can't tell you how many times I meet people who who are bound up in their fears. When God says we shall walk in faith. How about this? Discovery instead of discouragement. 
So many people are so discouraged. And, and, and listen, when I get discouraged, you know what I find out? I've lost the awareness many times of what God is up to in my life. I've lost the awareness of how great he is. I've lost the awareness of who I am in him. I need a time of discovery. And it comes by solitude. Joy instead of jealousy. We live in a very jealous world right now. And you know what propagates it? Social media. How many of you have noticed that? We see what everybody else has. Why can't we have what they have? I love the Lord as much as they love the Lord. Why hasn't he blessed me with what they have? Why don't I have this? Why do their kids, it goes on and on. Focus instead of fatigue. For most of us, the reason we're fatigued is we're running around without any direction, without the proper focus. And then presence instead of pressure. You see, the greatest thing we experience when we have solitude with God or time with God, the greatest thing we experience, listen, is not necessarily answered prayer, even though that's a good thing. But the greatest thing we can experience is his presence in that moment. That's what begins to shape the things that we see. So here's the application. God is working out his purposes in you through the same tools he used in the life of David. By what means is God working in you? And I want to do a quick review and I'll close. Solitude. Do you get alone with, do you get alone with God? Secrecy. Are you faithful when no one else is paying attention? Smallness. Are you faithful in the little things? Does humility describe your, dis, describe your disposition? Struggle. When the giants of life come, do you look for God working in that situation? Staying. Do you wait on the Lord? Do you abide in him? Every bit of this comes from the posture of solitude. Building a discipline of solitude in your life. If you want a life that counts, if you want a life that God can use, if you want a life that brings peace and joy, it will come by way of the discipline of solitude. When you turn your attention to God and learn from his ways and experience him and his presence and begin to see what your life is in, his context, in the context of who he is, that's when all those things begin to come together. That's when you see your life go somewhere. But we, it all begins with the discipline of solitude. Would you stand with me and pray with me? Father, we just come to you right now, and we thank you for your blessings. Father, I, just, I look around this room, and I see a lot of faces, Lord. I see those that appear to be with me that know exactly what I'm talking about because they've experienced what we've talked about, the solitude, the, your presence, the, the direction that you bring. But, Father, maybe there's people in this room, and it looks like as I was presenting this even just moments ago, I, I see some people that seem to be lost in this. Maybe they've never developed that discipline of solitude. That discipline of getting away from the distractions of life and focusing their attention directly on you. Father, I just pray, Lord, that you'll just help them to not only desire it, but, but seek that idea of solitude desperately, Father. That, Lord, they would get to the point like David, that no matter how good things were or how big the platform was, he still found himself in solitude, keeping the sheep. Or maybe even like Jesus, 
who was accomplishing and doing great things all around us, but still had to break away for the solitude with the Heavenly Father. Lord, help us all, including myself, even when I lose focus, to, to get back to that discipline of being with you, to be still and know that you're God. Father, we thank you that, that it's just not something that's available for us. It's something you want for us, that you say you will meet us there. Father, we thank you that you're a God who desires our attention. But Father, make us more of a people who desire your attention. In Jesus' name, amen.